<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Straight ahead this morning on The Insiders, it's been a $4 million disaster because of Dave Jamison's tenure as head of the Iowa Finance Authority. The state auditor will join us on what he thinks remains a major unanswered question when it comes to this investigation. Plus, Republican State Senator Zach Nunn is here on the impact of expanding gambling when it comes to college sports, plus why he thinks Iowa might need another constitutional amendment. And in the Insider's Quick Six, when the time is right for another round of tax cuts. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. One Iowan... Dave Jamison is costing Iowa millions of dollars, regardless of the semantics here about who is paying these settlements. Two women who Jamison sexually harassed as their boss at the Iowa Finance Authority, according to the state investigation, will get a combined $4.15 million in settlements. The IFA will pay. The state appeal board voted two to one this past week to approve those settlements. The dissenting vote was state auditor Rob Sand. He wanted to delay this vote so that the settlements would eventually require Jamison to personally pay the settlements. For the future, he wants some clarity on this. These appeal board administrative rules, he points to this one. He says this would indicate that this settlement had to be unanimous when it got approved, although he concedes that Iowa Code likely does not stipulate that. And if you want to, I can give you a 30-second version. Administrative code is the little brother of little brothers in the law. No other piece of law really cares what the administrative code says unless it has acknowledged that it cares. So if you change the statute, uh, then the administrative law may or may not matter. In 2006, a, a, a provision that had the exact same words in it was removed from the statute. That may or may not affect the validity of the administrative code below it. There's other pieces of the statute that you can look to to say, no, it's still valid. Not exactly sure what the answer is, but trying to get the right answer legally because that should drive what we do. As you're sitting there, I'm watching you as you're sitting with your other two members and then Jeff Thompson, the Solicitor General who used to work with at the Attorney General's office. Uh, as you're saying, I think we should delay this. I think we should also look at language to make Dave Jamison pay this money back here if he's financially able to do this. It felt a little tense between you and Jeff going back and forth. Is that fair? Sure. And why was that? Uh, Attorney General's office, and, and really I should say uh, the Attorney General's office and, and the Solicitor General, Jeff, have been clear uh, that they want to get this wrapped up. They want to move forward. Uh, that's clearly been something that the Governor's office has been saying as well. Uh, and I don't think they were interested in hearing what my concerns were. Uh, we've not, at least not at the meeting. I've had good conversations with the Attorney General, with Tom Miller. He and I had some uh, fruitful conversations about it uh, that I think were, um, were good. Um, but like I said, they haven't had a two to one vote before. And I had expressed to the, our, the counsel of the board what my concerns were. And, wasn't surprising anyone at that meeting there. And that's Jeff Thompson there. One of the things you were pushing for is this concept of restitution, and I can't really find any history of us pursuing that in the past. That's right. So 
obviously you brought it up at the meeting. I've had a lot of feedback about your idea since then. People asking, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? I had somebody bring this up to me about that while it seems very basic here and very, very common sense, for the state, though, it becomes tricky in the sense that would we have to provide as a state, would we have to serve as Jameson's representation since he was serving as a state employee at the time? You, you know, know, does it get that? You can always do, if you have a conflict for representation, you can always conflict out. And you just say, hey, we can't represent both sides on this. This is something the state does routinely. That's not a big deal. And if they feel they have to do that, then do it. Here's my thing. We haven't, we haven't done this before, right? Traditionally, what we have done is we just cut big checks to people who deserve them because of the wrongdoing of someone else. If we are going to stop writing massive checks of taxpayer money to people who commit sexual harassment, if we're going to start holding accountable the people who commit sexual harassment, and if we're going to actually improve Iowa in the long run, both financially and by reducing the amount of sexual harassment, we need to start seeking restitution from people. Legally, there is a way. There is a very good argument to be made that you can do that in this case. Now, it hasn't been tested. Test it. Take it to court. If you lose, that's part of the process. The judge has made their answer. And then you know, okay, if we're going to do this, legislature, your turn. You need to address it. But we are not going to change anything in this state if we don't start changing something. We have to actually do something. We have to change something to get things to change, right? Uh, one of the other things you had some concerns about it would be just the process in the sense that meetings yeah. Monday, you find out you get everything Friday, yep. the week before. It's a big packet of stuff and you're dealing with these two settlements plus the other one that went to the former corrections officer mm -hmm. uh, that was nearing $2 million as well for the harassment she endured uh, on the job. Is the process itself flawed? In the time frame of it, uh, did you get enough time to vet everything before you? I, I just put before you. For me, uh, look, I'm a lawyer, right? For me, seeing documents is very important. And until I'm able to see documents and understand what's going on, it's hard for me to make decisions about what I'm going to do. I think having more lead time would be important. But we can't look past the victims in this. And initially, when Dave, you were starting to ask your question about the process, that's what I was thinking about. Because to me, uh, the, process, the process that's been suggested to me about the way we operate is, well, first we have a resolution with the victims, and then after we resolve that, then we decide whether or not we're going to have a restitution suit against the person that harassed them. I have worked with and I've represented a lot of people who have been sexually abused, who have been um, molested, who've been assaulted, and victims are as different as any person walking down the street. You can have someone who reaches an agreement with the state who says, thank God this is over. Because I can't imagine sitting down and publicly testifying about what happened to me. And for the state of Iowa to resolve that person's claim and agree to pay them an amount that, because of that harassment the state owes, and then after the fact, decide that they are going to seek restitution from the person that harassed them is to me, it's re-victimizing that person. They might be agreeing to that settlement because they think, great, now I'm not going to have to testify about this. And then they're going to learn, oh, this suit is getting filed where now I might have to testify about this. That is not the right way to do that for the victim. And I'll add, 
It's also not, not the right way to do it for taxpayers. Because if that person says, hey, I was led to believe in this contract that I wouldn't have to testify, potentially they could unwind that contract. They can say, we didn't have a meeting of the minds. What this contract meant to you is not what I thought it meant. And then they say, you know, if I'm going to have to testify, uh, I don't want to settle for how much I get. I want to go for the whole shebang. And so it's not good for taxpayers either. I mean, the policy has to be these decisions um, get made at the same time by whoever's making those decisions. Now, another take on who is paying for this IFA settlement, we'll have that a little bit later. But first, we'll come back with Rob Sand about whether he wants to be on the ballot again next year for a different job. Republican U.S. Senator Joni Ernst has already announced that she will run for a second term next year. But which Democrat will run against her? Well, State Auditor Rob Sand's name comes up frequently when you talk about this. He did defeat a Republican incumbent last year to win this current job. Now, here is what he said about a possible 2020 run for Senate. Are you already eyeing a U.S. Senate run next year? Because that no. has been mentioned. Is there Which camera can I look at? <laughs> Whichever one you would like. we got three of them out here. Take, yours. Take your pick. Uh, I, I have been asked this, I feel like, almost every time I'm on anything other than like a, a two-minute clip. Uh, that, those sorts of decisions are, are so different, and I look at them and I think, you know, we have a two-year-old and we have a four-year-old. Uh, I have responsibilities at home. I have ambitions at home to be a good dad and to be a good parent. Uh, I want to be helpful and I want to be where I can publicly, that I can make the biggest impact, but I think I'm making a big impact right where I am. So you're going to serve this term out for sure? That's my plan. There it is. So no U.S. Senate candidate sand in 2020. Up next, a state senator, Zach Nunn. He joins us on why he might want to see Iowa's constitution changed and whether he's comfortable in the talk about these major changes when it comes to gambling. We'll talk about that more next. Acting Iowa Finance Authority Director Debbie Durham claims taxpayers will not be paying the $4.15 million to fired Executive Director Dave Jamison's alleged harassment victim. She said the IFA will use the interest from the money it already has, so that will then pay for the settlements. Let's bring in State Senator Zach Nunn of Bondurant. This is actually the first time I've had you in as a senator. That's all right. So. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> all right, you heard what Auditor Sand was talking about here. Can you first address what Debbie Durham is saying? Is this, is this fair to characterize this that taxpayers aren't really paying for this? Isn't it still taxpayer money, even if it's the interest on their money? Well, I mean, it, it's, a, it's an added money, right? So I think Debbie's done a very good job of saying, hey, how do I first identify to get the money to the victims? And I, I think we all agree that's the absolute most important thing, a timely response and restitution for the victim. The interest on there is money that we wouldn't have had otherwise. The very fact that um, taxpayers, though, are involved in this is a greater reflection on what are we doing at a state to make sure all government officials are being held accountable. And this shines a very bright light on the fact that sexual harassment is wrong, and we need to be very proactive about making sure it doesn't happen in the future. We don't have a pot, we don't really have a precedent of this, but should right. the state go after Jameson and try to, even if it results in a legal matter here, should we go after him and try to get something? Yeah, I, I think Sands is coming up with maybe an innovative idea, but where I would really caution this is that he's going down a pursuit that is going to take a long time before any victim sees restitution. And that could be years of doubt as to whether it's going to happen and as 
uh, Treasury Secretary Fitzgerald has highlighted, it could end up costing the state more. So um, if we've got to a point here, let's make sure the victim's taken care of first. All right, you all have been uh, talking about a lot so far this legislative session. Let's do this gambling situation, because I was warned about this before <laughs> the session starts, right. that who knows where this thing could go. So I think there are at least four bills out there, right, that you all are looking right. at? Right, yeah, we've got a large gamut on sports betting, mm -hmm. on where we're looking at for people to be able to do sports betting on college and professional um, sports either at a casino like Prairie Meadows here in Polk County or on a mobile device um, or guys potentially in their garage being able to fantasy sports something. All right, so this is what I was warned, and somebody used this <laughs> as a visual. Are you comfortable with you go to a Cyclone game and you're going to see somebody in the stands yeah. betting gambling right there from the stands? Like is that how far this is going to go, and are you okay with that? So I think there's a context here. Um, it, the Super Bowl. I was out sure. and watching it, and there's a bunch of people on there. And yeah, guess yeah. what? Ninety-five percent of them were betting illegally already. So if I would have known what Tom Brady was going to do, and this was the absolute most boring Super Bowl ever, I probably would have put some money down. Well, on you that. knew what Tom Brady was going to do. Right. He's going to win the game. So that's not even <laughs> New England fans, <laughs> that's, please. That's, yeah. uh, that's safe money there. Um, what about the idea that? the concern that this is an additional burden on the universities when it comes to compliance. So somebody was laying this out to me about they're going to have to now make sure coaches, everybody, aren't out there betting on the game. Right. You know. right. Well, I mean, I think this goes to a bigger conversation of how the NCAA is working at large and making sure that the student-athlete is the first concern put forward, not the interest of the coaching team or the educational institution at large. That being said, when we look at things like making sure um, good gambling uh, is policed, we have a process in the state for that already. So it would be, I think, myopic of us to say that this is not already happening and if somebody wants to do it nefariously this brings it into the light we're actually going to have some level of government oversight we're going to have some level of um, sports betting management and i think that's going to make it a lot clearer more transparent and ultimately better for everybody involved uh, the way you talk it sounds like you feel like something will pass this session is that fair yeah i i mean i think we're at a point now where uh just the digital revolution we've got um at least seven states that have already passed it we've got 24 more states looking at legislation iowa has been on a leading edge on this um particularly when it comes to the technology piece of it the mobile device i want us to be a voice in making sure that we frame it that's good for iowans and not just getting dragged along in the in the wave of legalized sports gambling and what will the lotteries role in this be? So that's still to be determined. Like you highlighted, there are four different bills. I think the lottery has a lot of experience with this, both in the security side of it for online betting, both in the age verification. One of the concerns that we have is making sure that people under the age sure. aren't allowed to vote or aren't allowed to uh, gamble on it. And then making sure that the winnings, the handle, if you will, is appropriately identified, given out to the winner, but we still are able to collect the tax um, return on that. Is that complicated? It is, yeah. We've gone through um, several different briefings. The Legislative Service Agency, our nonpartisan group, has walked us through the process, but ultimately um, I don't think anybody should plan for the state of Iowa to get rich on sports betting, uh, but we will have it in a better regulated and I think safer process. But, but we will bring in additional revenue through this. We will, yep, done. absolutely. And that's, I think, one of the, the key points of this is it's a new form of betting that has become very popular with a new generation. You go out to Prairie Meadows now, there's a group of individuals who love the ponies, there's a group of individuals who love to play the slots, and there's increasingly a group of individuals who want to be able to get together around a table, bet with their friends. We want to make sure that it's um, regulated safely. And we also want to help people that when they get to a point where it goes from fun to addiction, there's actually a program in place that can help them wean themselves off 
gambling. Talk about this effort to ultimately change the Constitution when it comes to abortion. What, what is the end game with this? Right, so... Um, and the right to an abortion. Uh, Iowa Supreme Court has taken a, uh, a very different view than the federal courts on a right to an abortion. Um, it says very cleanly in the Iowa Constitution, a right to life, liberty, and happiness. Uh, that's the same at the federal level. What this amendment would do is it would turn it back over to voters and say, is there a right to an abortion in the state? And voters need to make that decision. We're giving them the opportunity in which to have that voice. So how does that connect with Roe versus Wade on the federal level? Well, on the Iowa level, I think it's very clear that you can have some safety restrictions when it comes into um, the right of the mother, uh, the right of the child. And importantly on this, when we get to what we passed in the state legislature um, this past session, a waiting period, a life period, what we don't want to see is an interpretation by an Iowa court that takes us to a New Yorker or Virginia where it's a third trimester um, near lifetime or near birth where a child could be executed um, through a, a very end, end of stage abortion. That's where we want to keep um, our laws that are already on the books that have been working well for the vast majority of Iowans where most Iowans believe that we should be um, sacrosanct at the state level. Uh, in, if you had your way, would we ban abortion altogether? You know, I think that that's a difficult situation for any mother, any family, uh, and certainly the life of the child. I'll say this above all, uh, believe very strongly in life, uh, both for the mother and for the child. And so that's where the public policy discussion comes in. But I'm a firm believer in life. Uh, we have about a minute left. What about the idea to change the way we nominate judges? Yeah, so this is a conversation that bears a lot more discussion. Um, I'm concerned that we might have some half-baked ideas out there on how to better select justices in Iowa. Iowa has a, a very good system in the sense that we are uh, keeping it out of the political spectrum. What I don't want to see is us going to a state that elects judges where we have um, partisan politics coming to the bench, where we have campaigns around whether we elect judges or even just fund their retention uh, capabilities. Some areas where there could be reform. I think we need to honestly look at the way that the panel nominates judges. We should certainly have lay people on there. We should certainly have attorneys on there. But should we have one specific group deciding which attorneys are going to go out there? I equate and this. And right to, now they get half of them, right? Yeah. So right now the bar association uh, has half of the voices on there, with one um, chief justice basically appear on the court, helping to determine uh, who's going to be the nomination to the governor. Uh, the governor then gets three choices, and then that goes to the Senate for confirmation. So there's one bill out there that completely gets rid of Senate confirmation. I'm not in favor of that at all. Um, but there are, are some bills that say, what's the right composite mixture of attorneys? Do they need to just come from the Bar Association? We certainly wouldn't want the uh, pork producers deciding who's going to be on the pork board. We certainly wouldn't want uh, big oil deciding who's going to be on the utilities board. Maybe there needs to be some diversification on who the attorneys are uh, versus one group getting to decide that. So you're not convinced this will even happen this session? I think we're going to have a lot of discussion about it, and okay. I think it's a healthy discussion. All right, hang on for one second if All you right. would here. When we come back first, an Iowa advocate's appeal to the African-American com community when it comes to Alzheimer's disease. We'll hear from her next. Unfortunately, this is an unwelcome statistic as the nation commemorates Black History Month. African-Americans are twice as likely to get Alzheimer's disease. Dr. Yogesh Shah from Broadlands Geriatric and Memory Center in Des Moines shared some of his experience with Iowa Alzheimer's advocates. One was a volunteer who lost her mom to the disease a few years ago. 
the African-American population gets to him at the end of the disease opposed to at the beginning. And so I'm going to try and change that as much as I can. Why do you think that is? Um, there's multiple reasons. Some, some of it may be health care, lack of health care. A lot of times African-Americans, we as a population of people, um, take care of our own. We feel like we don't want to put them in nursing homes. We're going to keep them as long as we can. But a lot of times that's impossible. Um, nothing's actually impossible, but it's very hard to keep them at home in the latter stages when it's very difficult to take care of them. So I think it's more lack of understanding and knowledge opposed to anything else. All right, up next, the Insider's Quick Six. Meeting the needs of Iowa's youngest, plans for next year, and tax cut time. Senator Zach Nunn is back for the Quick Six next. Time for the Insider's Quick Six. Look at that in the middle there, Senator. That is Selwyn Renee Nunn. Oh, so I wanted good. to see if I can get our guest a little mushy here as we go to the Quick Six. Congratulations. <laughs> she's in her second month of life here as an Iowan. So she's going to lead off our Quick Six here. All, right? uh, all credit goes to my wife. She needs to be on here for this. She should after four kids. Exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. All right. Question one, Daddy. All right. Daddy all legislator. Right. Um, the most important thing you can do for Selwyn's future in Iowa is what? Be a good dad. As Quite. a state legislator going forward, though, uh, making sure that she has the opportunity to succeed, both in, in the pre-K program and then all the way through K-12. All right. Uh, question two. Do you see you all passing tax cuts this session? I absolutely do. It's the best way to move economies of Iowa forward. It keeps Iowans working. You know what, when you lower the tax burden on everybody, that's more money they spend right here in the community. It helps all boats float. That means uh, small government, state government, and everybody in between. Uh, this has become a national conversation when it comes to pictures of, pe of white people in blackface. Is that racist in your mind? It's wrong. Question four, any chance you will run for Congress in the third district next year? You know, uh, we had a lot of people talking to us about this, um, a lot of friends. Uh, most important is going to be having a conversation that is meaningful uh, with my community and where they would like me to be. Uh, my wife and uh, my kids have already voted on it, and I'll let you know. I think your wife's going to win on this one. <laughs> she may get the final say. <laughs> she absolutely will get the final say. <laughs> Question five. Um, who for, it used to be in the House. Who yep. first approached you about running for Chaz Allen's state Senate seat? Uh, would it be wrong if I said Chaz Allen? Not no. at all. Um, a number of people in my direct community reached out to me on this. Okay, and finally, your prediction. Um, so keeping Iowa working on this theme is that I predict Iowa is going to be leading the charge to be number one state in the nation yet again. We're number one in graduation already. We're number one in lowest unemployment. I think that when the snowstorm outside shuts down um, everything else, Iowans are still working. Um, unlike our federal partners that shut down at the drop of a hat, Iowa is working. We're getting people to work. We are working for them. We're passing SAVE. Um, the area where Iowa can improve, in my prediction, is in a tax reform that is meaningful. That was the last one that kept us from maintaining uh, number one going forward. I hope that we can change it this session, and we will be poised to uh, claim that mantra again. We'll right. see. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Congratulations Thanks, again, Teddy. Thanks to you, Dad. Appreciate <laughs> it, my travels. friend. Thanks for being with us. Let's stay connected throughout the week. See you next week.